0: This podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle, so you have time for healing and renewal.
1: Before we get to our discussion about the Dallas Stars and their and their playoff round against the Seattle Kraken, we'd like to just acknowledge and send our thoughts and prayers to all of those impacted by the shooting that happened in Allen on Saturday. Uh, we hope you guys are doing well and doing what you need to do to take care of your mental health. And, and you know, if you've been impacted, we, we are so sorry and our hearts break for you. And uh, with that, we will try to bring a little bit of lightness in a fairly dark time here in the DFW Metroplex.
0: And with that, it's time to do a little bit of stargazing, Taylor. It's, it's not the greatest way to open a podcast, but it's an important way. To do so, and as as mentioned, we're going to focus on on the play on the ice and and a little bit of escapism. Uh, Joining us is Mark as well, and and we have uh, we've got one heck of a series on our hands to talk about, and it's deja vu all over again. It feels like after after a better than they or sorry, worse than they deserved game one, we had the domination that was game two. Let's let's just start. Let's center ourselves. Let's do a vibe check. I guess on on the series, which is of course one to one, heading into Sunday's game, um, Seattle took game one. Dallas responded, took game two. Where we'll start with you, Taylor. Where are you in the, in terms of your your vibes and headspace in, in regards to the series?
1: Quietly confident, I guess, is the way I would describe looking at the series. It just feels like we saw this in the in the regular season. You know, we saw. The two teams kind of go at it, and Dallas, I think, um, played them to overtime and beat them, like, 5-4 in overtime, and then two days later just absolutely curb bumped them 5-1, and then, um, you know, they played into overtime and then got beat eventually on home ice. And funnily enough, the home team hadn't found a win yet this season between the two teams, so I kind of feel like now that Dallas figured that part out, maybe maybe they got this at the bag? I don't know.
0: I love it. Got this in the bag. That's a bold start to the podcast. Mark, where are you at?
2: Well, I, I'm torn because of course if we stick to the script that was set for the first series, we're in for a really brutal reawakening <laughs> Don't on Sunday. Say that. So so but but the script the script works because it gets Dallas in six. You know, and, and really the other side of the script is that we saw probably one of the most dominant games in the NHL playoffs so far. Um, certainly, certainly one of the most dominant ones on the uh, uh, on the western side. You know, Dallas pretty much obliterated Seattle in Game Two, and they they had their way with it. And so it's kind of hard to argue that that could just continue on and Kraken and have some adjustments to make.
1: The thing for me is they didn't get like completely outplayed in that first game either, though. I mean, I know it was all yeah. Dubinsky and. Pop off, King, with a four-goal night. But they played like they've been playing like this for essentially five out of the six periods against Seattle, in my opinion. Plus the overtime. Uh, the overtime woes apparently are a thing in the in the playoffs, yeah. which we all yeah we all, we
0: all we all thought United. that was over.
1: There. <laughs> <laughs> but they're it's, they're getting beat. Like you know, what it, it kind of feels like once you get to it past a certain point in overtime that, you know some stupid play is going to be the one that ends it. And they've been on the wrong side of that twice now, but you know, you kind of think you kind of just feel like they've been fairly dominant over Seattle um and have made really good adjustments. And I think that's the key for me is that I think DeBoer has the longer history of being able to make those in series adjustments um and get his guys kind of pulling in the same direction. And I know they went to Minnesota and they got shit canned, and it is what it is. But like, I don't. I just don't see. I just don't see these two teams doing that. I feel like even if Dallas does get beat in Game Three, it's probably just going to end up being another like five-four
0: overtime. I'm probably halfway between you. I don't know that my sort of of neurotic, anxious fandom allows me to be quietly optimistic or confident about anything. But you know, I try and think of it through the lens of. What have we seen in the past two games that is repeatable? Right. And it's sort of think in, in taking game one, for example, like is it unre you know, Joe Pavelski scoring four goals is a big deal, but but looking at it in the broader spectrum, like Dallas's elite player is scoring four, and then just thinking overtime, right? Is it more likely that if we if we repeat that game exactly as it happened a hundred times, right? What is more likely to happen? The hints breakaway or the hints kind of partial breakaway turning into a goal. Or Yanni Gord's turnaround, whatever it was that ended the game, right? Like which one of those two things is more likely to, to shake out positively for the stars? And, you know, well, on the enough. one hand, looking at the first two games, if you play them on a loop, Dallas, you know, game one was pretty close. But Dallas probably should be disappointed that they're not up 2-0 in the series at this point. And that, that's a good thing because it it suggests that, hey, they've you know, they've been playing well and, and they are the favorite and they're playing like it and they're getting good results. The only downside is, you know, it's the the same stupid playoff thing. Like now is the time of the year. We don't have an 82 game sample size to wait for things to level out and balance. And the reality is whether they deserved it or not, they lost game one. It's, it's a one-to-one series and you know, they've, they've only got so much margin of error. So I think that I would be, if I'm, if I'm Pete DeBoer, I am happy with where I am at in the series, you know, the, the old Jim Nielkwood. I like where we're at. Um, they They have played well enough in both games. There's nothing, you know, red light warning on the dashboard that says, oh no, if they don't fix this, they're in a serious amount of trouble. But at the same time, I think we've also learned a a healthy amount of respect for Seattle's offense and Seattle's attack. And it's only, you know, it only takes a, an inattentive, you know, five minute stretch of hockey to lose a game. And that's dangerous this time of year because you've only got so many losses and only so many stretches of hockey. So I think I'm, I like what I saw more than I dislike it, but I, I have a healthy respect for how Seattle can play and, and some of the challenges they can present.
2: Well, and let me let me kind of flip this around a little bit because I, you know, the Kraken are probably the team I follow the second most for a wide variety of reasons, and people I follow who are who are Kraken folk are saying we don't really have our legs. You know, that seven game series against Colorado took a lot out of us. Yeah, game one we came out and we hit them a little bit, but by game two we were tired, and we weren't able to get on the aggressive. Check that we know we can do. And so with game three, we're going to have our game, our legs back, especially since we have an extra day of rest here with, with the trip to Seattle. And so they're not really thinking they need to do a whole lot different in order to come out and, and, and kind of lay the wood to, to the stars because they don't think the stars can handle their forecheck.
0: And that's a that I think that's a great question, and we'll start with you, Mark, since you brought it up, and then we'll make Taylor answer because we're all about making everybody answer the awkward questions. Can Dallas handle the Seattle four check?
2: Well, I mean, they certainly did in Game Two, and and I think it might might boil down to what do you think about Essa Lindell and Yanni Hockenpah? because I I, I think that we saw that uh, certainly a line or a pair with with. Miro in and certainly a pair with uh, why am I dry, drawing a blank here? Uh, Thomas Harley. Uh, they they can handle it. They can they can exit the zone, and so it may just come down to can we continue to see some kind of zone exit out of uh, out of the Lindell and Hackenpott pair.
0: And they certainly seem to come alive uh, even in game one. The second half of game one, I, I would never say that they got you know entirely comfortable with it, but they there were clearly adjustments from the early parts of Game 1 into the later parts that made Dallas a little bit better able to handle what they were seeing. Taylor, is that your view as well?
1: I also feel like this is where Dallas's veteran experience might come into play, that they've been on this kind of longer playoff run before and they kind of know what it takes. And I feel like Seattle's kind of learning that. And so when you talk about them not having their legs under them in the first two games, I just wonder if that's more like, Maybe we just don't know <laughs> what it what it takes to go four rounds of this.
2: Yeah, it, it, it's really weird because on the one hand, with the Kraken folk, you have a lot of people who you know they haven't had local ho- hockey, they haven't been really into it. Now, now most of the people who are writing on this and, and things like that, who are who are Kraken media folk, do have that experience. And then you have somebody like Allison Lucan who just really knows knows her business. But the average people don't necessarily understand what it takes to be successful in the playoffs. They, they haven't been disappointed enough in the past.
0: And and I also wonder in terms of legs, is this maybe where the, you know, Kra- the Kraken's whole deal, right? The the and this isn't this isn't my line, I take no credit for, it, but the thing you hear is the Kraken don't have a first line, they have four second lines, right? And the idea is that they've got what, 15, 15 individual goal scorers highest in the playoffs, right? You you get it from across the lineup. Is this maybe from a depth perspective, like there is an advantage to having a high end where you can get just taking game one, for example, I know Dallas didn't win, but you can get relatively little out of the bulk of the team. But if you've got the high end talent, like everybody can kind of take a night off and let Joe score four goals. Right. And I, I wonder if, because of how kind of effort-reliant, forecheck-reliant, aggressive-reliant the Kraken system can be, I wonder if over a long series, you know, especially they went to seven versus Colorado, they've they've kind of had to—they they have to play at such a high intensity across their entire roster that maybe they're at a disadvantage compared to a team like, you know, the Stars that can maybe sometimes— not not sh- shortcut is the wrong word because I, I don't mean it in terms of like effort, but shortcut in the sense of Dallas doesn't necessarily need a complete full roster game to win. They can have one of their guys pop off and and get the victory that way. Right. So maybe there there starts to be an advantage when sometimes you can just rely on that versus having to, you know, everybody has to show up every single night.
2: Yeah, it's, it's kind of like it's two sides of the same coin. Because what Seattle comes at you with are those four lines, and so ultimately they're going to have a line that's on the ice at every single moment that can exploit a weakness that you have. But on the other hand, what the Stars have is a, a real you know, a superior top end where if you want to devote your best defensive pairing to taking that out from the Stars, they're still going to have something that's pretty high end that's still coming at you.
0: Yeah, they, they don't and, need the weakness to use correct. to use your own description, right? Dallas doesn't doesn't necessarily need the team they're playing to make a mistake or to show vulnerability. Sometimes Dallas is just going to be better.
2: Exactly.
1: And I would also argue that Seattle hasn't seen a forechecking team quite like Dallas. When Dallas is on top of their game, like they were in Game Two, I mean their forecheck is as hard to get around as Seattle's is, and I think that even though they may not show up on the score sheet in, 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 the, in some ways. Uh, to me, I think Rod- radic Hawks had one of his best games of the entire playoffs on Thursday night. Um, he was very noticeable on that forecheck and very noticeable on just grinding down the other team's line. And that gives Dallas the opportunity to outchange you and to get their top guys on the ice and get those scoring chances again. And that's
2: really yeah. hard to compete against. Yeah, and and it's like we come off Minnesota and we're so used to being the small team. And this in this matchup, we're actually the big team. Yeah,
0: and, and that's been the sort of the whole playoff series. It was as a fan, right? I'm I'm going through the, the the mental anguish of you know, you had a last year against the flames, right? Dallas had a cop out. They they weren't they weren't the flames. And it was almost they were playing with house money, right? The win was getting into the playoffs and whatever happened afterwards would have been great. Whereas now it's different, man. They, the goal is, is not getting in the playoffs. The goal is making some noise and, it's it's a whole different vibe to look at the first two games and be disappointed rather than optimistic. And that's that's a strange spot to be in, given the you know the, the course the last couple of years of Star's fandom has taken. And I think it's a good sign for the future, right? We're we're at a spot where this team is gonna make us nervous when they're not just winning all the
2: time. Yeah, and the thing the thing, and this is completely eye test. I have absolutely no statistical basis for looking at this, but it seems to me that Jake Ottinger gets comfortable in series as they go along and he kind of figures out where the danger points that people are going to bring at him. And by the time he gets to the fifth and sixth or seventh game in a series, he's completely locked in. He knows where they're dangerous and he's going to shut it down. And that's happened in Calgary. It's, it happened. uh, It's kind of setting up the same way with Minnesota and now with Seattle.
0: I'm glad you brought that up. And I want to bring you into the conversation on this as well, Taylor, because he wasn't necessarily, and and I don't think the goals were, this isn't a case where they wouldn't have been goals if, if, you know, this isn't a blame the goalie conversation, but I think you're right. And and we saw it in Minnesota as well. He wasn't all caps, Jake Ottinger until the latter half of that series. And you know, that's a really interesting pattern. And I think it's one that bears watching.
1: I mean, the man, the man did play like 60 games this year. It's like a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, it's a lot of hockey, most of any of his professional career. And now he's, you know, trying to settle into long, long playoffs. So it's not surprising to see him have a period like he had, you know, in game one. I also kind of feel like Dallas was maybe sucker punched in a tiny bit of a way because they came out of that incredibly hard hitting, bitter rivalry <laughs> against Minnesota that, you know, just apparently just is dormant all the time until we hit playoffs. And then, um, you know, and I think that they were maybe themselves a little bit like, oh, hey, so we actually do uh, need to figure out how to beat you in skill. We can do that, but we just need to flip the switch a little bit. It um, is
0: interesting because I think you're, you, that's a very good point. If you're, if we're just talking about series prep, Dallas is much closer in terms of the challenge they present, Dallas is much closer to the Colorado Avalanche than the Kraken are to the Minnesota Wild in terms of how they play.
2: Well, yeah, and you can't reproduce that in practice. I, I had this humongous diatribe written in a preview about about just physiologically how this was a disadvantage to the stars. And I pulled, up, pulled a bunch of it out because it's like I wouldn't even want to read it. But the, the, the problem is you, your mind sets yourself to it, you're looking over your shoulder and looking for where the hit's going to come from. And instead, what you find is you have all these mosquitoes buzzing around and 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 it, all of a sudden it's frenetic. And, and it took the stars a little while to get used to the speed. But then you acclimate to the speed and all of a sudden that speed isn't as much of a weapon as it used to be because the, the brain catches up. And and the stars, I think, are going to find that as the series goes on.
0: The stars as a whole, and I think we're seeing individual stars handle it as well. And specifically, I think that, you know, Miro Haskinen seems like he seems to me tailor-made for a series like this one as as, as smooth as he is, as fluid as he is, as good of a skater as he is, you know, insert, insert adjective here. I mean, he's good at everything. So obviously he'll be good at this as well, but I think that that Miro is a, is one. And the other is this playoff is very rapidly turning into the, you know, Thomas Harley handshake line and just how well he has stepped in to the, to the Dallas stars and gone from a, you know, minor league player, to a serious contributor just pretty much immediately.
2: Yeah, kind of like everybody said he would. Yeah.
1: I don't know that I had Lindell Hawkenpaw being the pairing to get caved in every night on my bingo card, but there's something about those two that probably needs to be looked at a little bit if you don't want to get absolutely torched by the speediness of Seattle um, in the series because they have not looked great.
0: Yeah, that's not a, that the way the pace that this series is seems to be, you know, being played at does not does not seem like it caters to their their strengths.
2: Well, I Pretty I mean, it, it, it's going to be alternate though, because what Hockenpah and, and Lindell can bring to this is a little physicality. And if they pick up the physicality, and yeah, you, you you saw you saw what happened when Hockenpah took took uh Veneers into the board. I mean, he just he just obliterated him. And so that's a that's a defense that uh, it it might not be what we're used to, but it's certainly something that can be useful.
0: As so long as I they're think, not getting caved in like <laughs> they've they've given up some tough goals.
1: Split, right? Like it needs to be split up. It needs to be Lindell with somebody else, Hagenpa with somebody else. Because my issue with that pairing is that they get stuck in their own zone and they yeah. cannot find a zone exit to save their life. And that's where Seattle is eating them alive. And so To me, it's like, yes, they bring a great element separately as people. Great. And I see the need for it and and understand it. But I'm saying, like, maybe not together. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's it can the Stars defense, right, continues to be. And I think that the schools of thought are like, can you get away with if you're getting enough out of the other groups? Can you get enough out of the two of them that it doesn't matter?
2: Yeah, well, and the other question is just who, because you know, in, unless you're, you're just going to come go completely off the bingo card and decide that Lundqvist is all of a sudden an NHL player again, yeah, okay, Joel Hanley can come in and and deflate the whole building, fine, but I don't know that that gets you zone exits either.
1: Well, so I guess for me, like, I'm not sold on Harley and Miller as pairing, so, like, why not tinker with those, those four?
0: So you do like, what Harley with... With Lindell. Yeah. All right. And then who would yeah, play Lindell. with and then Miller and Hockenpah?
2: Well, I mean, you'd, you'd they'd probably want to go left hand, right hand. So your first thought would be that you do Harley and Hockenpah.
0: Yeah. Well,
2: and I mean, it's not like he hasn't played. You know, he played a bunch with Petrovic. So he, he it's not like Harley hasn't seen it before. Harley usually plays better with a, with a, an offensive threat on his other side as well. You know, Miller, Miller and uh, and Lindell, yeah, that might be interesting. It also failed disastrously. I mean that's that's the I'm not question, right? Is you it? have
1: to stick with it forever. I'm saying, like, try it out for a period, see how it goes. Maybe you find some magic. I don't know. I just yeah. I, I just I and maybe maybe Dallas has enough offense to overcome when they get stuck in their own zone. But to me, that has been the true signal. And the only time in which Dallas gets absolutely obliterated on the scoreboard is when they get caught in their own zone and they extend their shifts and they are not good as a team on changing on the fly, especially in the second period when you got the longer change. And so I just feel like if you have a grouping that's consistently getting stuck in their own zone, Maybe you need to think about changing it up a little bit.
0: I think it's a, it's gotta be on your mind. And I think the calculus, if, if I'm Pete, the board, the calculus is, and this is where your mileage may vary on the first game, right? The calculus is how happy am I with the overall 120 minutes worth of hockey that I've seen so far. And, I think that it, I, I agree with, with both of you completely that there seems to be an issue with that pairing specifically because the thing that Seattle does best, right, that that aggressive hyper four check, is the thing that Hockinpot and Lindell are least kind of handle you know neither of them can really obviously they're NHL players so they're they're fantastic at all of this so you know this is in context but neither of them are really going to to consistently stick handle through danger and neither of them are, are necessarily you know maestros of the outlet pass so Seattle seems to be particularly well suited to take advantage and I guess your your calculus is do you feel like you're getting enough out of the other pairings and the forward core to whether the storm and maybe it's a problem you solve by, you know, coaching and trying to dictate matchups a little bit more, although that gets harder on the road or, you know, do you risk? And in the most extreme example of this, we saw with, with game, you know, game two against the wild last series, do you risk a lineup change that could blow up in your face in pursuit of something that may or may not be a problem you need to urgently solve?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I'd hate to say that you just played one of your best games all season and you're going to roll into it with a lineup change. I just don't see that happening. But it's it certainly if you if you see something that's happening, a, you know, in the first period and you need to change it up, then that's what you do. I agree with Taylor.
0: And I, mean, I think Taylor had the right point. It doesn't we we're speaking in absolutes like they you know, like it's a video game where you, you, you know, set your lines in stone and lock them and nothing changes. I think it is. Depending on game situations and how things are going, yeah, I think it's worth getting eyeballs on some different pairings if you can at all manage it.
1: I was told that Ruby Hens is a video game player. I thought this was all video games out here.
0: (laughs) That's right. It's all virtual. (laughs) You know, Mark, people get hurt from car accidents, medical malpractice, and other personal injury accidents, but they never call an attorney. They leave thousands of dollars in medical bills and lost wages on the table that could otherwise be covered and instead just take the insurance company's word. This is silly when you could just call Robert Greening at Greening Law. Greening and his Green Team are fierce legal competitors for you against the insurance companies. Consultations are free, so you have nothing to lose. And there are no hourly attorney fees either. They only get paid if you recover.
2: Right? These folks
0: definitely need to call Robert Greening and the Green Team. Sure do. So remember, if you've been hurt in an accident, been a victim of medical malpractice, or have been hurt on a business's premises, call the Green Team at Greening Law in Dallas, Texas at 972-934-8900 now. They will fight your legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. Greening Law, Office Dallas, Texas. So speaking of speaking of lineups, and just to transition, you know, one of the biggest storylines for the entire season is Dallas had the best ding-dang line in the entire NHL, in Pavelski, Hintz, and Robertson. And then, of course, Pavelski gets hurt in round one. And, oh, no, that's trouble. Then, you know, Hintz goes on a bender. Sagan steps in. Nothing seems to be, seems to work. All of a sudden, things kick off against the Kraken. And instead of going back to the original pairings, or sorry, the original units, we've seen Sagan remain with Hintz and Robertson while Pavelski has slid in with Domi and with Marchment question for the group is this working?
1: I don't think it's working for one player and his name is Jason Robertson. Robertson's body language right now kind of reminds me of the slump that he w- went through after his like 18 game point streak came to an end uh, where nothing was going in for him and he is missing some passes and 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 not quite looking like he's got the battle in him because I think he's frustrated on his offensive output right now. And to me, I think it's not a matter of, is this working? I just, it's a matter for me of, could this be working better? Dallas needs Robertson to get back his confidence back and get his scoring touch back if they expect to go deep. And while it has activated that second line, secondary scoring depth, which is good, and they need that, I guess I, I question at like
0: what expense. Yeah, it's interesting, Mark. What what are your thoughts on you know? Because on the one hand, right, Domi had a three assist game. Pavelski obviously had the four goal game. Scored again. He's found some chemistry on the power play with Wyatt Johnston. They had a, you know, the roommate goal from game two. It, if if we look at the offense holistically, it's doing quite well. And so I think that it's again, it's another one of those tricky situations where this is sort of it's different than the defense because it's working, right? But do you risk do you, do you give Robertson more time to, air quotes, figure it out because you are getting scoring elsewhere? Or do you preemptively make a change to maybe get your guy going again?
2: I mean, I think some of it depends on how much it is important to be able to roll three offensive lines. I, I think the at the very top end, that pavelski hints robertson line has a much higher ceiling than than if you throw sagan in there uh in, instead of pavelski they just seem to know where everybody's going to be at any given time and i i think you've seen several points here where you know robertson's trying to make a pass to where he thinks somebody should be in sagan doesn't make the read that pavelski would have read and all of a sudden it's a turnover so I, I would like to see that top line back together. On the other hand, I think Pavelski's fit in just great with Marchman and, and Domi. I think it's been uh, been even better for Marchman maybe than it has been for Domi. You, you take a look at Domi's assists, they've been secondaries. Uh, you know, he's contributed, but uh, you know, assists, secondary assists don't mean a whole lot in the, in the overall scheme of things. Take your pick. It's kind of nice to know that you can have that combination and it works but i would i would probably keep it the way it is right now until you know if you get behind a little bit and you need to throw it a real high end top line then you know, reactivate uh hints robertson and uh, and pavelsky and and use it when you need to cuz it's, it's it's sitting there in your back pocket
0: yeah and i think the thing that gives me hope and and obviously i have no I have no extreme insights here, right? This is all stuff I'm trying to grok through a television screen. And I'm glad you mentioned his little slump earlier in the season, Taylor, because it certainly doesn't look, you know, sometimes we get to the playoffs and, and nobody really knows the physical condition of these guys. What's going on is something broken, right? Watching Jason Robertson and kind of obsessing, it doesn't look like there's anything physically wrong just, you know, the way that he's been skating, the way that he's been shooting, there's none of those glaring telltales, you know, his shift links have been consistent. He's still getting shots on goal or he's still getting shots. At least some are hitting shin pads, but, you know, he's still out on the power play like normal. Like it's, there's nothing that, that when I watch him says, oh, well he's, you know, last, last year and, and he's a different player, but you know, Leon Drusail had hurt his foot and he was, finding ways to produce, but you could tell when he was out there that he was limited and it just wasn't working. Sagan in the bubble is another example of this. Like you could tell that he just couldn't do things. And, you know, I'm not seeing that with Robertson. And I think part of it is, yeah, he's adjusting to new line mates. Taylor, I think that's an excellent point about the way that Sagan plays is different than the way that Pavelski plays. And, I can see the argument that, you know, you you need him to to win, right? Dallas is going to need big things from Jason Robertson at some point. But there's another part of me that also thinks, like, he got himself out of that slump earlier this season, too. And if you can bank some some points and some good performances, and if you can keep some other guys going, and, and you know, what happens if he figures that out and you still have Pavelski being successful with Marchment and with, with Domi, right? Like, so part of me is, like, I almost... I'm more inclined to test things on the defense because you know there there's trouble there that you might need to account for. With Robertson, a part of me is almost thinking, I yeah, just let it ride, see if you can figure it out. You're getting enough elsewhere. Maybe that's the answer here. So I'm I'm kind of torn. Is is well, my long winded way of saying particularly nothing.
2: <laughs> let me throw something else out there. Just we're we're at a point where coaching matters. And these are teams that we're facing now that have had a chance to do some deep film diving. They they can set up schemes, and they'll they'll find vulnerabilities to individual players. And it's entirely possible that there are some tells that they've found on Robertson related to getting on him early and getting in his lane and understanding how he manipulates the puck to get at certain shot angles. And if they, if Minnesota and and Seattle have done a deep dive and found a few things, we we may need to be doing that same thing on the Dallas side and coaching and, and seeing if we mix up a little bit about what he's technically doing to get his shot off because he's hit a lot of shins. They found a way to adjust to what he's doing with his stick and finding where he's shooting the puck. And
0: but- I, I saw you, the, the the Skype window, Taylor, trying to jump in. What's what's your your read here?
1: I guess for me, it's it's kind of like I get that and I and I understand it, but I but I also think that that familiarity that he has, in knowing where Pavelski is going to be at all times, and Pavelski knowing where he's going to be at all times, maybe now is not the time for this great experiment of depth scoring. Like, good that we found it, awesome, good for you guys, but like. Maybe, maybe, what, maybe wait until the start of next season so that they have more time to I develop just, that chemistry.
0: I, I hear you at the same time. It's really hard to look at the first round that Tyler Sagan had and the start to the second round that Joe Pavelski has had and think maybe the answer here is Jason Robertson is an elite player and he's going to figure it out. And maybe the answer is, he, it's not like he's playing with schleps, right? He's playing with, with hints and he's playing with and he's playing with guys that can get it done. I just, I think I would give it a little bit more time, especially as, as strong as the stars played in game two. I think I'd give, I'd give him a little bit more time because if you can, at some point in his, his career, right? Long-term he's going to need to get to a point where he is the guy that makes the line go. And I think this is just a really good opportunity to have him do that right into to, to
1: sure. yeah but but aren't you kind of signaling that tyler sagan is no longer that guy
0: yeah i don't think he is i think tyler sagan and i'm i'm a huge sagan stan i think he's the evolution of his career given some of the injuries he's had to carry and given the way his game has changed i think it is a testament to him that he is still a valuable effective offensive player but you know that that line that's that's hints making it go you know, and, and I think Sagan is at this point a, a compliment, you know, the secondary piece on a unit, not the guy that you drop in to make a unit dangerous.
1: I, I'm all for this experiment. And I think long term, this is actually really good for Dallas. I guess my biggest thing is just maybe not in the playoffs. <laughs> Time to That's fair. It out, but and and I,
0: I will tell you, I would have a much, much different opinion if Dallas if had
1: losing. been
0: if, if they were losing and if they hadn't. And frankly, if they hadn't looked as good right? If it's, it's even when they've lost so far with the exception of the Minnesota blowout, right? Even when they've lost, there have been long stretches of those games where you just kind of shrug and say, Hey, they were good. And if that's going to happen, it's going to happen. So it's, if the offense didn't look like it was generating, like it was dangerous, I'd be much more eager to make a change. The other thing is we've got a two-year sample size that tells us this pair, this kind of trio works. And so maybe if, if things don't start well in Seattle, if you know Pavelski goes cold or Domyr, you know somebody else starts to struggle. I think you you slap that trio back together, you know, instantly. But I think it's you you maybe try and see how far you can get without needing to go to that particular button because you know in the back of your head that at some point you've got that unit ready to win a game for you.
2: Yeah, and to tell you the truth, one one of the advantages we haven't talked about is that you know going into the playoffs the concern at least one of the concerns I had was Marchman and Domi weren't going anywhere. Yeah. And, and that line with Pavelski has been okay. And, and so that's, that's the end. Yeah. It's, it's your, it's a second line, not a first line, but Hey, you have two lines that are, uh, that are being productive and you always have that, uh, the nuclear option of bringing, bringing back the super line.
0: Taylor though, to your point, right? These, these games all matter and it's, um, you know, there's, there's a big, you know, you can't, I, 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 opened the podcast by talking about slim margin of error and you certainly don't want to let too much bad happen before you go back to something. And maybe it's been too long. You you don't want to overthink it, but I do think you've got a little bit more runway left. Um, you know, because hints has looked dangerous. He hasn't scored yet. You know, Pavelski has been dangerous <laughs> been deadly. Uh, Domi Marchman are going as well. I think maybe, you know, cause again, I, if I'm being the optimistic guy, thinking about the two performances Dallas has had in this series so far, what does this team look like the first time you get that and Robertson has a big game?
1: I disagree. And maybe this is that situation that um, Pete DeBoer actually talked about with the media on Saturday was at times in the series, you kind of almost have to not overcoach, coach, yeah. like not overthink things because you are, you know, knee-deep in it and and looking at all the ways to get yourselves an advantage. But sometimes you just have to let, like, the guys just go out there and play. So, you know, maybe that's what he's doing right now is, like, hey, it's working. Let's shot it ride right until it doesn't. And then, you know, when it's concerning, then we'll do something about it. At least they're getting the contributions down the lineup between Johnson's line and Pavelski's line right now that they can give Robertson some time to, like, figure his situation out.
0: Speaking of figuring it out. What are we? What are we thinking? Um, are are we due for a, a Jamie Ben game here anytime soon? He's sitting at six points so far in the postseason. Has a single goal, five assists, shooting at four and a half percent. So you know, it'd be it'd be nice. Wouldn't Wouldn't it be wonderful to to kick off game three with a a throwback Ben game and, and maybe put the offense on his back for a little while.
2: I mean, I, w- I would say that he's he's actually contributed quite a bit. I mean, without without Ben there, I don't think Johnson's throwing up the numbers that he has, and I don't think Adonov is either. So, uh, so I, I'd say that line has been excellent. Uh, you know, if Jamie's getting more assists than goals, that's fine. He's still contributing, and that's a that's been a very productive line. I'm really
1: concerned about that particular uh, line. I think they've been great. Um, yeah.
0: yeah. Oh no. Please. This is not a concern thing. This is more if I'm a Stars fan and thinking about all the ways they could go well. It's thinking that they've they've made it this far without some you know some game defining performances by guys that have done that to the season, you know, in the season in their careers to this point, right? There, there hasn't been a huge Robertson game. There hasn't been a huge Ben game, you know, and, and at some point you have to think they're going to get that. And won't that be fun?
1: I feel like Robertson's probably due for that more than, than I would say Jamie Ben right now, but I could be wrong, but I feel like he's just, it, it just feels like it's like right there. It's like right at his fingertips to getting back on track with his even strength scoring. And I think that I just feel like it's got to be coming anytime now because I just don't see him having a regular season style slump the biggest time of the year. And also, I really don't like how some fans basically say that Jason Robertson isn't built for the playoffs when he's like shooting at an insanely low percentage right now and is due for like really positive regression.
2: Yeah, his his expected goals numbers haven't gone down that much, so it's it's not like it's not like that he's been playing the normal and and getting bounces. He's he's gotten some bad luck.
0: And and to your point, right? We talked all regular season. This is the playoffs. Teams have more of an opportunity to game plan. You would expect things to tail off, and they haven't, right? It's just the scoring. And I I'm inclined to agree. And as long as there are no fires elsewhere, I think with Jason Robertson at this stage in his career, he has earned the reaction. If if you look at the numbers. If you look at his career to this point, he has earned a shrug and a, eh, the kid will figure it out. And that that answer may change if we get, you know, too much deeper and there's still some scuffling going on. But as of today, right now, my reaction to his struggles to produce is pretty much indifference because you know, it's not what shows up on the box score necessarily. It's what feeds the box score and all of that stuff is fine. And I, Mark, I'm inclined to agree with you and Taylor as well. Like he's, he's going to figure it out. He'll explode. It'll be another one of those situations where somebody somewhere is going to forget that the game isn't on at like nine o'clock at night, miss game three, wake up Monday morning. It's like, Oh, Jason Roberts had a five point night. And it's going to be okay. Yeah, sure. Fine. (laughs) Of course he did. Why? Why wouldn't he? I have no reason for him not to.
2: And you mentioned Ben. I, I think one of the things that I'm looking forward to, I think, I think Ben is going to develop a pest game in this series, and I, I think Ben is going to be a, not necessarily by scoring, but just Jamie being Jamie, be a, be a complete annoyance and get under people's skin, and and I think that's going to go really well against the Kraken.
1: I think, I think him... he had it a little bit <laughs> in game two. Yeah. There was some pettiness. (laughs) Oh yeah. After whistle.
0: Yeah. The the big dog knows how to. It's not all. It's not all. I'm just gonna punch in the face all the time. I think he is a. He's a an all timer man. He's a just good at everything. And he his style lends itself to. He he seems like the kind of guy that would just be miserable to play every other night for two weeks.
2: Yeah. Exactly.
0: Just. just While.
1: Seen is like. Some actual hatred and we all know that the playoffs create rivalries and and I think because the fact that you know Dallas has ended Minnesota's time in the postseason a few times here recently added to that series and then the whole like history between the states and band bases and all this other stuff but the, the Kraken are so new that, like they don't really have beef with anybody yet and so I think for me I'm still kind of waiting to see are they are these two teams that are just like, let's just see who outskills the other one or are we gonna get some instances and I'm not saying they need to be big hits or like players getting hurt, by no means do we need any of that. But, you know, are these two teams that are gonna find a way to like get under each other's skin and maybe bring a little bit of bite into (laughs) it?
0: I mean, I think, though, especially as we get further in the series and, and at some point, somebody is going to be, you know, down two games, facing elimination. Like this, things will progress. Urgency will rise. And I think you will start to see some of that that tension enter the series.
2: Well, just going back to what the Kraken people are saying I, I think there's a little bit of fear out there about Dallas's power play. And, the, and there's a thought that says that, hey, if, if we can keep them off the power play, we can beat them at five on five.
1: I mean, that feels like a really knowledgeable way to go about it.
2: So
0: I'd play the stars. Yeah.
2: It, well, I'd it is. Exactly. I, I think the power play right now is overrated I, and, and our five on five game is underrated. I think that's a complete misread of the situation.
1: Well, I just don't think that you can't not put the respect on the stars power play from that first round that they had. I mean, Hacks even said, like, this is a team that was coming in at like 37% coming into the series and you can't give God, you just can't give them the opportunity to bite you like that. So,
0: and they've looked good against Seattle as well. And I I can't remember if I think Johnston's goal is the only time the power play is actually cashed in cashed in, but you know, Minnesota or Minnesota, Seattle is a is an excellent penalty kill team. They were, I think, second in the league coming out of the first round. But Dallas has has been able to manufacture chances and has be able to create looks for themselves with the extra man. And I see, you know, I, I, I can see what you're saying, Mark. I definitely wouldn't look past them five on five, but they've they've earned the fear of the power play.
2: Well yeah, but I mean this is this is fear earned on a extremely small sample size and that, I I guess that's my point is all all of a sudden all of a sudden all of the numbers that go into the papers go based on the playoffs and it's ignoring this 82 this game
1: it. The Stars disc- are-
2: oh you know if no absolutely they're they're good but i i don't think that you can come out and say you know 37 percent. the only reason they aren't number one is because ed edmonton scores you know two thirds of their power play opportunities oh my gosh the oilers
1: (laughs) but at the same time we've seen in playoffs fast that like yes small sample sizes but small sample sizes can bite you
2: Oh, they—they like, they can. They're heaters. You get a hot
1: goalie, and all of a sudden, they're looking like Vesna winner, you know, Jack Campbell instead of uh, you know, Edmonton Oilers Jack Campbell. So like, that's. And not, they were like, top,
0: They were the fifth best power play in the regular season.
2: Yeah, right. No, but uh, they, we're we're saying the same. Like, no,
1: <laughs> you know, like it can absolutely continue through the next series, and I get that at small sample sizes, and eventually, yes, Dallas will will probably tail off, and they will not convert at this rate, but. I think it's a healthy fear, and I think that they're just trying to limit the damage, and I think that's why you haven't seen them try to mix it up after whistles or anything like that, like Minnesota did, because for some reason, Minnesota wasn't afraid of it, even though they got torched a lot.
2: Well, um, the thing the thing is, they Minnesota was afraid of it, and that's why they quit playing their game, which was the only way they could win in Game 5 and 6. And so they 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 because they were so afraid of the power play they couldn't play wild hockey and so bye bye couldn't couldn't win with it, it couldn't win without it yeah
1: I don't think Seattle's game was built around trying to draw a bunch of pe- like penalties anyway I think or giving a lot of penalties to the other team either I think they were they're more like we will beat you with our skill and we're gonna earn power plays because yeah. we're starting fast
2: yeah they and had to
1: clutch and grab at us to try to slow us down.
2: Right. But I mean, for a team for a team that excels because they have an extremely aggressive forecheck, you know, one of the one of the one of the side effects of an extremely aggressive forecheck is that you you take some penalties in the offensive zone. And and so if you throw in a little thing in the back of your mind that says don't take penalties, you back off five percent on on what you're doing on the forecheck. And and if so, you're shooting yourself in the foot.
1: Well, I mean their players basically came out and said that after game 2. Vince Dunn pretty much said we're, we we didn't play aggressive enough. And yep. when we don't play aggressive enough, we're not, you know, we're not playing our 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 brand hockey. So, you know, I do think that maybe it has gotten into them a little bit in that way.
0: It'll be interesting because yeah. I I can see it's it's the classic challenge of like I that's of course what he would say and he's probably not wrong, but at the same time it's hard to look at game two, and, and I'm going to look like a tremendous doofus if they play game three like they did against the Wild, but the flip side of that is, what if it's just Dallas having a higher, higher end and exerting themselves? You know what I mean? Like, there is a a world in which the answer is much simpler, and it's that Dallas has elite players that adjusted to the way that the Kraken play. and I
1: go back to yeah. once in a conversation with a player in the locker room. And they basically said, "What people don't realize is there's a whole team on the other side that are trying to keep me from doing what I'm trying to do." And so I think to your point, like maybe that is the simple, the simplicity answer is Dallas is just better.
2: Well, that, that's certainly the answer we had after Game Two in Minnesota, and and that worked out really well.
0: Long term, it didn't work out really well in the immediate term.
2: Well, no, it, it, it worked. It worked out well in long term, and we're all long term related here. We won in six games, and so we we had to we had to slap ourselves in the face in game three to realize that we were the
1: better team. But I wonder how much of that was like <laughs> this is going to sound really insane, but hockey players love their their rituals and and their schedules. Wasn't game three in Minnesota like a normal start time, like an like an it was early. Yeah, because
0: I remember being super mad that I was so so, got, was so happy that it was finally not going to have to stay until midnight crack. to watch a stars game, and then they just crapped the bed.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> it was it was over
0: early. Yeah, it was over so, early.
1: So in some ways, I mean, Dallas is even though it's a six o'clock start time in in the Pacific time, it's eight o'clock here, which really isn't that different from the eight fifty realistic. Start time. So maybe there, they won't be a thrown off. I don't know. I know that sounds really weird, but like hockey players are weird.
0: <laughs> don't matters. They Gary. So yeah, it'll be, I think this is a very long winded way. All, all, all of us coming back around to say that game two is either a turning point or it's not a turning point. And um, <laughs> we're just not going to know for a little while. I, again, I think the optimist take is that you do have Seattle presented a very different challenge to Dallas and if you and this is like sports cliche, I did not know sports cliches. If you exclude the little period of time when Seattle scored, you know, four of the six goals they've scored this entire series, then Dallas has looked pretty good throughout. But yeah, they,
2: they took that stretch matters and
0: won Seattle a game.
2: Yeah, they took the first punch and they've come back strong. You know, second second round, second round, Dallas came out and just took it to them. So now the, the question is, you know, is is it more of the same in, in game three? Uh, the, the opportunity to make adjustments is firmly in Seattle's court. And they may decide that maybe what they needed was just their legs back. And if that's the case, we'll see a strong four check. Or they may say, mm, uh, we found some things that we need to do different. Maybe we'll adjust the lines. And uh, maybe we'll adjust the pairs and see see what we need to do. But they're going to have to make some adjustments one way or another or else Dallas is just going to run this thing.
0: So let's do this. We, we're, we've we've talked a lot. There's really not much more to say before we see how they actually show up on on Sunday. But what are your predictions? What do you think? What do we see? And we'll start with you, Taylor. What do we see Sunday night?
1: ends up being a pretty tight game. I think it's probably like 3-2 or 4-3. I would not be surprised to see another overtime game. I think these teams are very evenly matched. So for me, I mean, I'm still anticipating Dallas, you know, taking it around to win and moving on. But I would not be shocked in the slightest to see this go 6 or 7.
0: Mark, how about you?
2: Well, I have nothing really original to add to that other than I think uh, maybe we'll be watching Lindell and Hockenpah and and maybe a little bit to see if there are any things that Jason Robertson's doing different. That's certainly what I'm going to be looking at.
0: For me, there was the quote they talked to him after the game, um, after game two, and Tyler Sagan was talking about the difference between game one and game two, and and he said, our battle, our compete level. And that jumped out to me because that's – That is exactly if, if, you know, when we get to the end of the series, if Dallas is successful and moving on, it's, it's not because of their skill. They've got that. They've had it throughout. They're going to, they they will have a, they will have a skill advantage in the series, no matter what else happens. What's going to differentiate them and what the difference between Game One and game two is in game two and in large stretches of game one as well. But in game two, they they fought through that four check. They fought through the the pressure of of the Kraken. and they they put themselves in a position where that skill mattered, either through drawing penalties or through creating better offensive opportunities. They, you know, it's it's that that classic like the the skill part only matters if you can get yourself into a position to use it. And so I think it's it's going to be, you know, they're, they're going to come out and and they're either going to fight and win, or they're going to come out and kind of sit back and, and hope for their skill to, to save the day. And it's not going to work. Right. So for me, the big piece in game three is going to be, do we continue to see Dallas composed on the puck, right? Forcing the puck into the neutral zone and beyond and generating offenses, generating offense through, you know, kind of through effort.
2: Yeah. And we gave up a lot of counterattacks in game one that we eliminated for the most part in game two. And and that's going to be big. You know how the Seattle's first goal in game two was was a direct result of of one of those little sloppy plays into the neutral zone. Yeah. And and Dallas eliminates those. I think they're good.
0: Love it. Well, it'll be a good game and um, hopefully a good series certainly looking forward to it it's it's been a hell of a matchup man this is just it's just fun hockey and and it's going to be more fun tomorrow these are these are two teams that just this is just aesthetically pleasing stuff and you love to see it um i want to see more of it of course i I want them to be successful at it but it's been a it's been a good ride so far and it's shaping up to be even better
2: yeah, this was the series that everybody wanted Dallas to win the division so they could see because it was so fun. And and now we got lucky and we got it in the second round instead.
0: Well, we'll see what they do. In the meantime, please uh, thank you for listening. Please like and download, do all the things. Make sure you swing by DefendingBigD.com. There's a bunch of really good coverage coming on as they continue to march through the playoffs we're really you know breaking down a lot of the things we touch on on the podcast and it's exciting in stars land master your anxiety embrace the chaos and let's see what uh let's see what game three has in store for us taylor mark thank you kt thank you for stitching everything together and we will talk soon This podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal.